Well, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank? Did you know that Marilyn Manson is actually really smart? <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, we, we couldn't think of a better one for this episode. Um, Hello, uh, and welcome to Michael and Us, a depressing suicidal journey through the life, art, and vortex of Michael Moore. I'm Will Sloan, and you are? I'm Luke Savage. I kind of went rogue on that and took over the intro. I hope that's cool. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty territorial. <laughs> uh, so we're definitely in the home stretch of this podcast now. One reason why we're sounding a little weary and disconcerted and out of sorts uh, this episode is because this is our special odds and ends episode. This is where we watched a couple of footnotes in Michael Moore's career that aren't worthy of their own episode. Yeah, I mean, it's really because like our level of professionalism is just so kind of, like I don't know, transcendent that we're like, we're bringing you... Lucky Numbers, we're bringing you Sleep Now in the Fire, the Rage Against the Machine video directed by Michael Moore, featuring Michael Moore. We're bringing you... Pets or Meat, The Return to Flint, right. which was his 20-minute documentary that was a sequel to Roger and Me. I know, we, it's funny, we like just finished that, and I was like having trouble recalling it. But uh, So yeah, th- th- <laughs> these are some kind of odds and ends from his career, and you know, maybe in their own way, they will shed a little bit of insight into him. Before we go further, we both had really big weeks on social media. <laughs> oh my God. First, I want you to start with what happened to you. All right, so this is um, the, I guess, second edition of the Michael and Us navel-gazing segment, which is great. I don't know, like, what do you want me to say? I got, like, I... I, um, Don't be so modest. I ascended above the uh, levels of kind of the, you know, the plebs, the, you know, I ascended to the noble from uh, the base, and I'm now uh, verified on Twitter. First of all, congratulations. I think that that's terrific. (laughs) Luke was telling me earlier today, uh, I I barely walked in the room when he started bragging about this, but he said that there was something like... Yeah, that's what happened. you, You said, what, there are like 300 million Twitter accounts or something like that. Something like How that. many are verified? I got 200,000. So you're one of them. Yeah. First of all, what happens when you're verified on social media? You get a bunch of douchey little extra features so I can filter my mentions now based... Well, so first of all, now that I'm verified, like I'm pretty sure it's like mandated that like half my tweets have to be about the state of my mentions. So I need to, I need to like every few hours tweet like a picture of like a dumpster on fire and be like these are my mentions <laughs> right now um but uh yeah like uh you get this thing that filters like so you can only see verified tweets and like favorites and mentions from verified oh, accounts no. which is, is, the, is great is this the i'm not verified is this the end of our of our friendship of our, of our dalliance yeah i'm afraid it might be i yeah. guess it's no coincidence that this is coming towards the end of the michael and us podcast yeah this i mean it's a very bittersweet <laughs> moment for both of us listen it was a big week for me on social media too because um i interacted with steven seagal <laughs> and and i mean you know you can argue what was the bigger story but i mean i think we both know the answer right? uh, on the weekend yeah. steven seagal was tweeting his political views mm-hmm. steven seagal is very active on twitter he interacts with his fans a lot he's very anti-hillary mm-hmm. uh, he's very pro the second amendment <laughs> i asked him uh <laughs> Where do you stand on social issues such as transgender rights? Because I wanted to know if he was a social conservative. And right. Steven Seagal <laughs> actually responded to me. Oh, wow. He, he wrote, people... Oh, sorry, I'll do it in... He wrote, people are people and have inherent rights. 
not equal, but separate, just equal rights. Those are actual words by Steven Seagal. And I'm really proud of this because I feel like I have really added to our understanding of Steven Seagal. And you've earned this, you've worked towards it um, for many years. So can you explain to me what that means? Like, what the hell is he... Well, I don't know, because he contradicts himself. Yeah. He says, he says... He says, like, not separate, but, like... He says, not... So, people are people and have (laughs) inherent rights. So, we got that. Mm, Right. I think we can all agree on that. Not, not equal, but separate. <laughs> just equal. And then, yeah, he says not equal, but separate. And then he follows it with just equal rights. He he contradicts himself, but that's because he is large and contains multitudes. And I, he definitely is large. I mean, I don't know how to reconcile that with my existing kind of impression of Steven Seagal as somebody who would have, like, really clearly thought through, like, nuance. Like, I feel like if there's a problem in understanding this, like, the problem is clearly with us. Not with him. Well, I mean, he's a poet. And I think it's wrong to just... Mm-hmm. To kind of just expect him to be working on our level. That's true. I guess, like, you know, the best poetry, like, it, you can't... You can't sort of apply a, a logical formula to it. You know, like, it's evocative because it, it's it's really on a, on a different plane. Yeah, I also think that, you know, a lot of what's wrong with politics these days are extremists on both sides <laughs> of the aisle. And what I like about Steven Seagal here is he recognizes that the truth is somewhere in the gray area in between. <laughs> God. So anyway, let's get on to let's get on with the show. Weatherman Russ Richards owes his success to his winning personality. We love your show. Thank you. All right, you have a good day. His snowmobile dealership. I'm Rockefeller. I'm on Broadway. I'm doing a cha-cha-cha. And his own table at Denny's. You're Russ Richards, aren't you? Here. Let me guess. Mm, It's a resume of some sort. Just read it. Everything else. I need money. I need it fast. I told you last time, no more loans. He owes to the bank. I'm not selling the Jag. I'd sell my body parts to South America before I'd sell that Jag. But all that is about to change. Okay, Russ, it's going to be a better day. Sometimes in life, the greatest opportunities are sitting right under your nose. Eight! You think that my playing the lottery is going to solve all my problems? Oh, playing the lottery. Winning the lottery. Oh, I'm a big brother. I'm probably the biggest brother of all. Let me bask in that for a while before I start thinking about tampering with the lottery. This October, I have to ask you something. I wouldn't blame you if you said no. I thought it'd be a slightly harder sell. You need someone to buy the ticket and claim the winnings. My cousin Walter could do it. He's this totally straight guy. Ah, right. Paramount Pictures and Studio Canal present Short and Sweet. I want half the money. Oh, jeez. John Travolta. This is killing me. I've gained two pounds. Lisa Goodrow. I want his head cut off. Now that's just your anger talking. The paramedic said that there was nothing anyone could have done. I can't believe it. I'm in shock. You know what his last words were? You and Russ deserve to have that money. <sighs> All right, key lime pie. Lucky numbers. Oh, it's so sad. It's just so sad. One of sex? Oh, yeah. The first thing we watched tonight <laughs> was 2000's Lucky Numbers by Nora Ephron, the director of When Harry Met Sally, Silkwood, and many other films. 
this movie stars John Travolta, Lisa Kudrow, uh, Bill Pullman, God, Michael Rappaport, several other people. Well, lots and of people that you've seen like strewn throughout. Tim like, Roth is yeah, in it. films throughout the '90s and sitcoms. But and stuff. more to the point. It features in a small but key supporting role, Mr. Mm. Michael Moore. Yeah, now, like, I think, you know, he wasn't in as much of this film as I was hoping, but and we'll get to the actual film in a minute. I mean, this was, like, the bulk of kind of what we watched this week time-wise. But, I mean, I mean, there are, like, different levels of great performance. You have, um, you know, and there are different kinds and incarnations of great performance. Like, you have... Something like Marlon Brando in A Streetcar Named Desire. Okay, let's not. I'm just gonna. Like, while, while you're going, I'm just gonna go to the bathroom. No, and I, make myself a sandwich. I don't know. Maybe. Like, I'm I'm sick of like. You know, I was gonna make this point during the film, but I didn't want it like it, like interrupt the the flow of it. You know, you have you have performance like Marlon Brando in A Streetcar Named Desire, where you know he's like okay. emotionally immerses himself in the film. Then you've got like something like De Niro in Raging Bull, where it's like physical immersion in the role. Like he. The role kind of just subsumes his, you know, whole essence. But, like, those are both very, like, practiced kind of performances. And then you got something like Michael Moore in Lucky Numbers. And this, you can tell, like, he just fits into it. There's no calculus involved. There's no, uh, you know, there's there's none of that. Like, it's just pure, it's pure cinema. Well, like, you know, oftentimes uh, in what they teach people in, like, the Stella Adler acting classes <laughs> and, and Lee Strasberg's method is that... You have to bring the whole actor to work. <laughs> like, whatever your experiences in your life are, all of that comes into the big stew of acting. So, for instance, let's say <laughs> you're driving on the way to the play that night and you run over a dog. That's terrible. Yeah. But somehow you've got to figure out how to incorporate that into the performance because mm-hmm. that's honesty. Yeah. Anyway, I, I would quibble only with your <laughs> suggestion that your strict dichotomy between Brando's performance being <laughs> being an emotional commitment and De Niro's performance being a physical one, whereas I think they were both both those performances are very physical and emotional. Well, you can quibble with the distinction, but I mean, I think the point is that Michael Moore really like they they're both very practiced, and like he just like like he just slips into this role like it's it's organic, you know, it grows from him. Anyway, if you people out there don't know what Lucky Numbers is, and why uh, would you? So yeah, fucking don't watch it. Here's Jesus here's Christ. just a, a quick Cliff's Notes for you. Uh, again, directed by Nora Ephron. Came out in, t- in the year 2000. It came out just a few months after Battlefield Earth signaled the end of the John Travolta <laughs> comeback. John Travolta stars as uh, Russ Richards, a uh, weatherman in Pennsylvania, who's kind of a local celebrity. As you said, he's kind of a Kent Brockman-level celebrity in Pennsylvania. Um, But despite his enormous fame in the Pennsylvania area, he is in financial troubles. He owns... Something like a snowmobile dealership or something? Yeah, that's right. But it's been a warm winter, so the dealership is approaching bankruptcy. Uh, Also working at the station is Lisa Kudrow, then kind of at the height of her friend's Mm -hmm. stardom who plays kind of the sexy model who reads the lottery numbers. Right. And the two of them conspire to rig the lottery so that they'll win it and they'll share it. But they need a pawn. They need somebody who technically has the lottery ticket, who they can say wins the lottery. A stooge, if you will. And that is Lisa Kudrow's comical sad sack cousin Walter, played by documentary filmmaker Michael Moore. Now, this movie is, you know, nothing, basically. I mean... Well, like, I was saying to you during the film that, like, 
you know, in spite of the Michael Moore stuff we've watched in the last few weeks, like, I've watched a lot of really good films in the last few weeks. Like, we saw two premieres of Werner Herzog films at TIFF. I've watched, been rewatching Kubrick films. I've, uh, like, I've seen The Shining, 2001, you know, Paths of Glory the other night. So many, I've been watching, like, Taxi Driver, all these great films. And, like, this film, like, I think you've made some comment that was, like, I'm not used to watching anything like this that's this nothing. Yeah. This film is, like, labyrinthine in its banality. Mm. Like, it's it's so hard to follow because there's just nothing there. Right. I mean, it's so, it's so kind of average. It's the kind of movie that you would watch, you would see it and say, oh, this is the kind of movie you'd see on TV or you'd watch on an airplane. But yeah, even so, like... Airplane movie, very much, yeah. But, like, I wouldn't even watch this on an airplane because no. I would have a book. No. Like, this, there is no context under which, aside from Michael Moore's scholarship, <laughs> yeah. under which anybody would watch this. It's just a total dead zone. And, you know, most uh, movies are like this, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Michael Moore. Yeah. Uh, because I, I think he's not that bad in this. <laughs> like, I know you think I'm kidding, but, but like, just as like, he plays, you know, the comical sad sack cousin. I think he's mildly funny. Well, he never speaks in his like Michael Moore voice. Like he's doing an affected voice and we should, we should loop that in the, uh, yeah. his, cause he, he's, he's kind of, um, like he's kind of an asthmatic beta male and he kind of coughs and wheezes a lot. And that's really his like main character trait. Mm-hmm. The humor in the movie is, uh, I think it's fair to say pretty lame. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's kind of a country bumpkin type. Um, and I think there's an inferred kind of sexual pathology, like where he, he keeps looking at Lisa Kudrow and he keeps, even though she's his cousin. Yeah. And then, and then like, there's a scene where like his kind of big scene is where she's trying to get the like lottery number from him, and then uh, she kind of pins him on the ground, and there's kind of a well, this is a weird scene. She yeah. pins him on, because he starts to figure out that he's being taken advantage of, yeah. so he doesn't want to give her the lottery ticket. She pins him on the ground, and then he keeps calling her. This is a scene that would not fly today. No. He he keeps calling her whore slut. It's it's quite unpleasant yeah, actually. It's actually not nice. Because I'm doing all the work. You're lucky to even get a little bit, which is a lot. Okay, wait, I'm family. Go get the fucking ticket! Oh. Oh. Now, give me the ticket, you jerk-off! Get off me! You're a whore! Stop it! Oh. Do not fuck with me, you sick, masturbating retard! Oh. Go ahead and rape me, that's what you want! Shut up! Where's the ticket? I'm not telling you what? I want that ticket now! I'm telling your parents? Stop it! My, 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 my puffer! Your what? Stop it! What? Puffer! Puffer! My puffer! I can't breathe! Get it! Get it! Thank you! Thank you! Is this what you want? Your puffer? Where's the ticket? I'm not telling you! Fine! But as an example of kind of the lame comedy this movie has to offer, the scene where John Travolta and Lisa Kudrow fill Michael Moore in on what his role is, mm-hmm. they say that they're going to give him $20,000 out of the lottery winnings. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, that's that's great. I My church needs a new furnace, and I'd like to pay for that. And then he says... And I also want to open an adult bookstore. Uh, so, you know, uh, that's pretty lame. And uh, then he goes off on a thing saying, you know, I think God wants us to masturbate. Yeah. So it's like, that's it's a, the It's the monologue on masturbation from Michael Moore. I know you were all waiting for. And here it is. But I mean, it's such a cheap Ugh. comic play. The guy, oh, you know, 
you think he's you think he's the uptight religious guy, but he's also a compulsive masturbator. It's such uh, a cheap hillbillies, turn. am I right? Like yeah. Ugh. So it's not that funny, but I but I do think this movie is probably you know in its kind of unvarnished depiction of ugh. of the way that capitalism keeps us down. Oh my God. <laughs> it is one of the only honest movies I've ever seen about America. It's a, it's a true film about, I mean, it really is kind of the master narrative of the, of the Midwest. Well, think, uh, of, think about this just <laughs> while we're, while we're tossing this movie around. Yeah. This movie came out in 2000 in the waning weeks of the Clinton administration. <laughs> Again, you know, it's the end of history. This is just a bit before the dot-com bubble mm, burst. That's right. It's a film about people trying to, like, game the system, about uh, the frustrated ambitions of the uh, post-Cold War uh, aftermath. It's a film where, uh, you know, plans were complicated by sexual pathology, as but, as like, as the second term of the Clinton administration but you're was. But you're not taking this as seriously <laughs> as I am. I'm dead fucking serious right now. <laughs> I think this movie, it's a, it's actually kind of a bit like American Beauty, a movie that came out a year before where it's about these kind of upper middle class characters. No, hear me out. It's about these upper middle class characters who, you know, it's all about appearances. It's all about having the big house. It's all about having, in this case, the successful snowmobile business. And it's actually a bit like, you know, a movie that came out a few years later, Fun with Dick and Jane, the Jim Carrey film. <laughs> You know, it's it's all about they have to keep up appearances to fit into this kind of upper middle class bourgeois, you know, <laughs> capitalist society that they've built for themselves and kind of the the moral rot at its core. You're right. It is. It is a great it is a great film. Can, can we just briefly talk about just like how bad John Travolta is Awful. in this film and Terrible. just in general? His performance is very kind of a Rococo, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's not one for subtlety in this film he really he's like a full-on kind of jerry lewis yeah. like spazzing out yeah it's like i sincerely hope he's phoning it in because like if not he's got no excuse uh like yeah he's so like all his uh his weatherman shit he's like gesticulating in kind of ridiculous ways and he's doing weird facial expressions every scene he he overplays it he's like do you realize yeah. that, that we're missing the lottery ticket yeah, you know yeah. and and like i was saying to you during the film that like I mean, this film's from what the late 90s or 2000 something? 2000 so john travolta is not that old right he's in his like mid 40s or like something like that and it's like you know it's conventional wisdom especially with like leading men of Hollywood that that's kind of the age when they're kind of in their prime. And I, I'm going to say that John Travolta is uh, proof to the contrary. Like he does not look good. He has, no, he, he looks very, he very boxy, puffy and sort of like, I'm very concerned about this, like face shaming uh, <laughs> road. We're going down, you know, you don't know. Maybe, maybe John Travolta, maybe he can't help how he looks. Uh, what he's a douchebag and a Scientologist and he's a bad actor and he's been in so many wow. terrible films. Bigotry. And like, I hate this movie and like I hate him. I don't think like also I don't think Michael and us is a forum for your anti religious like bigotry. <laughs> yeah. Uh anything else to say about it? I don't think so. It's shit. It's garbage. There's no reason to watch it. <laughs> Moving on, let's talk about the Rage Against the Machine music video that we watched. What was the song called? It's called uh, Sleep Now in the Fire, and it's, I don't know, it's got like a good groove to it. <laughs> Yeah. 
this podcast, you know, really one of the kind of main things we're doing is we're going, we're revisiting, you know, with kind of ironic nostalgia, these things that were important to us when, you know, in like the early 2000s or whatever. And like Rage Against the Machine, I have to say, like was really important to me in, you know, at that time. And like, I actually still look on it pretty fondly. Like, mm. and I actually think it's still... That makes me think less of you, but okay. Yeah, like I just think they're like a really tight band, even if you kind of have moved past like you know, the idea sure. that they're, like, some cool political thing or whatever. And they were really associated with a distinctly end-of-90s thing, which is referred to in this video, which was kind of this, like, proto-adbusters kind of Naomi Klein, no-logo, like, anti-globalization movement mm-hmm. that's generally regarded to have peaked during the Seattle uh, G8 protests. Mm-hmm. We see some footage from that in the in the video. The rest of the video is kind of centered around Rage Against the Machine playing on Wall Street, and uh, I don't know if it's dramatized or whatever, Well, the, the kicked s- out by police. Yeah, the setup of the video is that Rage Against the Machine applied to film a music video at Wall Street. Their application was rejected, and the video attributes that to the sinister machinations of Rudolph Giuliani, yeah. who couldn't take the truth. Yeah. Uh, so they they film it anyway, guerrilla style at Wall Street, and so it cuts back and forth between the band playing and Michael Moore himself arguing with cops. Yeah, it's just like we um, see we see cops leading Michael Moore away, arresting him. Yeah, it's like the scene in Let It Be where the Beatles roadies are arguing with the cops who've come to kick them off of the yeah. roof of Twickenham Studios. It's just like that, uh, uh, and it also cuts back and forth uh, between kind of a parody of who wants to be a millionaire where the host is quizzing people about uh, poverty and stuff like so one of the questions is how many people in america live in poverty one of the options is 38 million and the other option is what poverty yeah Uh, i don't know it's a music video it is what it is yeah i mean i i don't really like the music video genre in general i think there are very few good music videos so I, i think it would have been a lot more successful this video if they'd have just filmed the bit on Wall Street and just like that had been the video. That's just my take, but who, who cares? It's irrelevant. There's nothing at stake in that. <laughs> I think, what? yeah, I think the execution of the video is a little shoddy. Mm-hmm. I, I think the ideas in the video are okay. And the last thing that we watched tonight was Michael Moore's second documentary, but I bet you haven't heard of it. It's called Pets or Meat, The Return to Flint. It came out in 1992 and it aired on PBS during an omnibus series called POV. It's uh, just about 25 minutes long. It's more going back to Flint, Michigan, catching up with all the characters from Roger and me. And we see most of the main ones. We see uh, Deputy Fred, the, the guy who foreclosed on houses, and his business is so successful that he's now foreclosing on cars. On this day, we found him overseeing an auction of cars he had acquired. This is a slow month. Mm-hmm. Well, NBD days, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, that's NBD. Each one... And these are, these are all vehicles that... All repossessed vehicles. All of it live on that. People, that people were not able to pay their loan or defaulted in some way. They've been paid it loan, huh? Yeah. Probably another 10,000 jobs have been lost here since we made the movie. Oh. A lot. Probably more than that. More than 10,000? Yeah. Can't sneak up on anybody anymore. Everybody knows me these days. So that, in that way, the movie's been bad for you. You've, you've lost the ability to sneak up on them. Well, I said somebody else when I figure I can't sneak up on you, so I still get you. Don't matter. 
But what happened to the people you evicted? Once I put you out, I don't, I never know until you don't pay the next landlord. You don't pay the next landlord, I run into you again. We see the pets or meat lady who's married and has a, a young child, but still is having trouble paying the rent. The the color lady. Oh, th- this, this is, is this treat. is pretty good. I'm sure you all remember the woman uh, who you know. What is I, her business? I mean, it's she like, sort of audits your like soul and tells you what color, whether you're like a winter or a spring, and then she ascribes colors. And to that you. there's that famous scene in Roger and Me when she, you know he interviews her and then she calls him up months she's later. She's very and, upset because she's been like misdiagnosed, right? And she's actually in autumn. Yeah, uh, yeah. And this is so terrible. Anyway, she apparently was not happy about how she came across in Roger and Me. So we see her again in in this movie, and we see her on the street, and she says. I'm glad to have given I'm glad to have been given this chance to clear my name. <laughs> but she points out that one of her friends in the like color auditing community <laughs> was hired to put colored banners around Flint, Michigan based on like the same principles. Based on the like, same principles. Yeah. So there are banners that are just blue or orange or whatever at various parts of the town. And she says that it just makes the city look better and normally it's really gray. And, you know, she's probably right. Right. I guess colors are good. <laughs> we, we also hear a little bit from Roger Smith, mm-hmm. who stepped down shortly after Roger and me came out. And I guess the big comic beat of this film is that uh, he was forced to take a smaller pension. Like a hundred K less pension of his like multi-million pension. So there's a bit of a running gag throughout of Michael Moore thinking, oh, should I write him a check for a hundred thousand dollars? I, I, eh, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> the response to Roger and me was incredible until I heard what Roger said. And what do you think of that film? I haven't seen it, but as they say, I, I'm not much for sick humor and I, I don't like things that take advantage of poor people's problems. Well, Roger soon retired from General Motors, but before he had time to bring his yacht out of dry dock, his successor, Robert Stemple, cut Roger's pension by $100,000 a year. Instead of enjoying the good life, he was forced to take a part-time job. How was he to survive? I decided to let bygones be bygones and give him a call. Good afternoon, Mr. Smith's office. Uh, Yes, is Roger there? Uh, no, he is not. May I take a message? Yes, uh, this is Michael Moore. Um, uh, Roger and I were in a film together. You might have heard of it, Roger and Me. Mm-hmm. Oh, he is, he is out of the state. Um, I don't expect him for several weeks. I read about his, his pension possibly, you know, being cut. You want to send him $100,000? Yeah, well... If, if that would if that would help make things better, I'd be very happy to do that. Um, Michael, do you have a phone number? Uh, generally, I guess the thesis of this documentary is that despite all of the attention that Roger and me got, uh, nothing changed in Flint. Mm-hmm. And if anything, it got worse and the town is still delusional. Like yeah. we see the tourism guy again. Oh, he's great. And he's still delusional about, oh, tourism's picking up and we've got this arts festival coming next summer. Mm-hmm. I, I love him because he's like a bureaucrat who's like evangelical about his like bullshit bureaucratic job, like mm-hmm. to like soullessly promote tourism in the city. But he's like, his eyes are so kind of vivid and like, he's just, he's so into it. I love it. So I kind of enjoyed watching this. Yeah, it was all right. Uh, it was all right, but I got to say it has a certain tone to it that maybe left a, a bit of a negative taste in my mouth. How so? 
I feel like it's like even snarkier than Roger and me is. Yeah. Um, I, and I feel like, you know, we see footage from an episode of the Donahue show that was shot in Flint with Michael Moore as a guest. And some of the audience members are very much in favor of Michael Moore. And some of the other audience members are saying things like, well, why didn't you show the good side of the city? Uh, there's, a lo- there's a lot that's great about Flint. And even though I think they're fundamentally wrongheaded on this point, uh-huh. there is kind of a tone of the movie that's sort of like, well, it's almost like he's making fun of... A bit of, sanctimonious. Well, it's sanctimonious, but it's also like snarky basically towards anything that's happening in Flint, even kind of like the little people who are just trying that, to make a that, difference. That, that, that's true, because it's kind of like, yeah, look at all these, like, all these people that were sort of sympathetic characters, or they were like, they were used empathetically in Roger and me to kind of show the condition of Flint and now it's kind of like look at these idiots still doing their like stupid even even though it's hopeless and the auditorium which housed the now defunct star theater was still providing quality entertainment for the entire family on the night I stopped by a local hospital was holding a talent show these are the hospital administrators doing the California Raisins. I was born at this hospital. Things haven't been the same since the nuns left. In one, and perhaps the most glaring example is that, so, I mean, this is what, a 20-minute film? 22, I think. And we see a very large rabbit get devoured by a snake. This is a thing that we act... I, I oh, this is the pets or meat lady. Yeah. yeah. And I can't say I'd ever seen that before, and I didn't really think Michael Moore was going to go there when, like, she's holding this rabbit that's, like, the size of a dog, and Mm -hmm. she says, you know, oh, yeah, like, a a 20-foot snake or something can eat this, and then we see a snake, and it doesn't look that imposing, the snake, and then the rabbit is, like, hopping around, and it looks really jolly, and you just think, okay, like, this is just gonna, like, it's gonna fade away, something's gonna happen. The snake lurches at the rabbit, and it's, like, so quick and it like just destroys it and then it cuts to Dr. Doolittle really like it breaks the rabbit's neck basically right. and then it cuts to Dr. Doolittle saying some shit about how great animals are and then it cuts back to the snake and all you see is like the rabbit's ears just like disappearing down the snake's like cavernous throat and yeah. um it's almost as if Michael Moore wanted to top that scene from the first yeah, Roger where and she me. skins it yeah and I don't know like I didn't sign up for this is all I'm saying I thought it was interesting to see <laughs> I mean I- I've never seen that before so yeah. You know, now I've seen it. <laughs> Listen, uh, I want to close out this. First of all, if our discussion of lucky numbers seemed a little abbreviated, it's because uh, I spent the entire second half of the movie listening to this guy over here talk about how much he hates Hillary. And That's not what all happened. Of the, you're, you, no, you're right. I'm oversimplifying <laughs> it. Uh, I mean, you, you got to understand, like, Luke is just despondent these days <laughs> o- over the state of the world. <laughs> I mean, it, it is pretty bad, but uh, I, I think you're exaggerating because... I mean, you're also downplaying like how heavily invested in the film I became, especially in the second half. The problem is Michael Moore dies uh, like <laughs> really early b- before well, the midpoint, well, and I think for some, st- I don't know why we kept watching. I think I had some like insane principle that I was like, well, who knows? Something else yeah. might happen. Well, what was great was that at a certain point, Will kept chanting. Okay, act three, like some kind of incantation, uh, like as if it was going to like bring like bring it about. And like, let, let me tell you, like act three was, a, you know, was a long time coming. I do think the structure of the movie, I, I, you laughed in my face when I said this, but the structure of Lucky Numbers was sort of Shakespearean. 
the way he had all of these all of these characters doing in doing all their little they're all their ridiculous shit until they all converge in in the final <laughs> act um and also because it's as good as anything shakespeare ever wrote <laughs> So uh, let's get to uh, housekeeping for uh, the week. Um, oh, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for everybody out there who tweeted at Michael Moore asking him to be a guest on the show. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Keep it up. Uh, the big guy has not responded yet, but we still have a few weeks left, mm. and, and we know he's listening. So just, yeah, keep at it. And uh, there also, I looked at our podcast on iTunes this week for the first time, and there were some really nice reviews from people that... We don't know, so uh, thanks to uh, thanks to the people leaving the reviews. It's actually uh, I know we're like super ironic, but but like we're we're really grateful. Thank you for listening. It is very nice. If yeah. you want to write more, yeah, uh, <laughs> that would be great. As well. I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't turn you down. Yeah, <laughs> but there is huge news on the Michael Moore front this week. I know that we said that where to invade next would be the last episode, but. This, I think, is just proof that Michael Moore is listening to the show because he's giving us more material. He's giving us cues. Here is a Facebook message that he wrote earlier this week. Michael Moore said on September 28th, drumroll, big announcement. I'm unbanned in Ohio. I don't know what that means. I'm coming to the history, sorry. I'm coming to the historic <laughs> Murphy Theater in the small Republican town of Wilmington, Ohio next week. To perform and film my one-man show and i want to invite you all to come and be in the audience the dates are thursday october 6th and friday october 7th both nights at 8 p.m uh, blah 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 so why am i coming to trump country in clinton county that's the name of the county because i think i know why a lot of people in ohio and michigan some of them my neighbors are voting for donald trump Good Midwestern people whose lives have been upended by the system that's been rigged against them. They used to be part of something that was called the middle class. Now they have a chance to hit back and pick up a virtual baseball bat and smash the old system by voting for an outsider known as Trump. I want to talk to those voters. I want to see if I can meet them halfway. And I want to give them an hour or so of some good laughs over the craziest election year we've ever seen. Oof. So uh, we're not actually going to go there in person unless somebody wants to pay for my If Michael to wants to give Ohio. us free tickets after he appears on the show, then that would be great. But it's apparently being filmed. And if it's being filmed, I think that means it's going to be released before the election. Yeah. So that's going to be our last episode. Yeah. And we, I think it's going to be a great like way to close things out. I, yeah. Michael Moore sounding off on the current election. Clearly, his pragmatic impulses that we've talked about so much are back on display. And yeah, what I like about it, too, is it's not him directing a documentary. It's not him writing a book. By the way, we're not uh, doing the books. <laughs> uh, Life's too short. It, it's just pure Michael Moore talking and yeah. cracking jokes. So it, it's the it'll be mainlining Michael Moore <laughs> straight into your veins. So yeah. anyway, next week, though. We're looking back at his most recent documentary film, Where to Invade Next. Are you excited? I'm really excited, especially since it's like we saw it like a year ago and it wasn't very good. I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. So until then, I was Will Sloan. And I was Luke Savage. See you next time.